Hi, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of A Sense of Place, where we explore the science that makes a place unique. Think about a city or region you love and what makes it special. Is there a beautiful beach nearby? Is it frequently threatened by tornadoes? Is the local bedrock great for building? Chances are, the place you have in mind is shaped by what's going on in the natural world around it. During each episode of A Sense of Place, we'll take a trip someplace on Earth and explore precisely what about its environment makes that place special, whether it's weather, water, or what's underground. We'll also take a look at how the natural landscape has shaped that place's history and culture. I'm Megan Bartels. Let's get started. Today, we're going to Venice. If you've never been to Venice, here's the first thing you should know. It's built on a whole bunch of islands in the middle of a lagoon. That has a few really big consequences for people who live there. Take transportation. There are no cars in Venice. A fleet of boats helps people get around, from the oh-so-romantic individual gondolas to the practical Vaporetti that act like a typical city's buses. Otherwise, people walk to get where they need to go, alongside canals and over bridges. It's the complete opposite of carefully gridded cities like New York and Tokyo. The lagoon is what makes Venice special, even exotic, in the eyes of the rest of the world. It's the one thing everyone knows about Venice is that it's a city built on water. I think what not everyone probably realizes is that it's a city that's built almost entirely on artificial landfill. That's Carl Apoon, an environmental historian at NYU. Venice gives him a lot to study because the Venetians have done a lot to shape the natural world around them. Really over a period of about four or five hundred years, the Venetians drove piles, moved tons of dirt, uh, and created landfill. And so the entire city is held up by a forest of several million oak trees. So the system of canals that we're familiar with, it's a human artifact. So you may be thinking, why do all this work to build a city on water? There are a couple of different ways to answer that question. Let's start with the legend. The original Venetian population to escape the invading barbarians coming from northern Europe in the early centuries of the last millennium. That's Jane DeMosto, who wrote a book called The Science of Saving Venice. They escaped into the lagoon because the barbarians couldn't chase them into the lagoon because their horses shied away, even though the water was quite shallow throughout much of the lagoon. The horses saw the sun sparkling on the surface of the water and wouldn't gallop through the water. Well, I don't think they could have anyway because it's like quicksand, the mud in the lagoon. The more practical explanation is it's a great place to be if you want to get into trade. And that's what the Venetians did. Certainly it was an extremely cosmopolitan city. It was one of the two or three principal maritime trading cities in the Mediterranean. And it's where the sea and the rivers meet, so the lagoon is a perfect location. But building a city in the middle of a lagoon that's surrounded by wetlands means there are three big complicating factors. The Venetians understood reasonably well from a fairly early date, uh, certainly 10th, 11th century at the latest, more or less what the mechanics of that wetland were. The wetland put salt marshes between solid land and water. 
We'll come back to why those marshes are important in a bit, but let's focus on the water itself right now. The lagoon is a challenge to manage because it's fed both by rivers and by the tide. The rivers were particularly tricky for the early Venetians because rivers carry dirt as well as water. If left to their own devices, the rivers would have slowly filled the lagoon up with sediment. To keep the water from becoming too shallow for their boats, they actually diverted three different rivers to empty their water and dirt outside the lagoon. If you look at actually an aerial photograph or a satellite photograph of the lagoon, you can actually see that these three rivers make some extremely unusual <laughs> uh, sharp angled turns around the lagoon. But there's one tiny catch to all this meddling with the lagoon. And as a consequence, the city floods. Without the rivers emptying into the lagoon, when the tide comes in, sometimes there's nowhere for water to go except into Venice's streets and basements. And the city has flooded for a long time. Water level was measured on buildings through time in Venice. So there's some buildings where you can see that they've cut in the stone where water level was, the average water level of the year or something like that. In the 1800s, things started to change for Venice. It got more and more popular for tourists who wanted to see sites like San Marco and its bell tower. And with tourists came changes. Venice went from being an extremely cosmopolitan city that had a lot of different industries in it and a lot of different goods flowing through its port to a city that was essentially just a kind of tourist attraction. And so the city decided to make it easier for cruise ships to bring tourists directly to the city by digging deep, straight channels in the lagoon. Between that and the destruction of the lagoon's salt marshes, the water around the city acts very differently than it used to. The salt marshes in the lagoon, and they're like the sponge, the kidneys, the lungs, the everything for the health of Venice and for also protecting Venice from the water coming in. It takes much longer for the tide to rise through salt marshes than through open waters. So it used to be that high tide inside the lagoon was never as high as it was in the Adriatic Sea on the other side. But now, not only are there no marshes to slow the water down, the channels cut for cruise ships let the water come in even faster. It comes violently. It comes into the lagoon as though they were like liquid motorways, highways. At the same time, the lagoon has also gotten smaller, thanks to oil and gas refineries built on new landfill. And so it's essentially, if you think about it, it's like shrinking your bathtub. If you pour the same volume of water, you have a bathtub that's 60% of the size of your old bathtub, the water is going to come up higher on the sides of that bathtub. Today, there are two types of flooding. Usually, a flood is more inconvenience than danger. When I first moved to Venice 20 years ago, I'd walk around with my boots on days when I thought I might get caught in the flooding. But nowadays, I'm so lazy and wasteful that I, I don't mind if I've forgotten my boots because you can buy them for nine euros or even seven euros. It, it's not serious, the flooding, because it just comes and goes in, in a few hours. It's not like the water gets stuck here for days and days. But every once in a while, the floodwaters do hang around. One of the worst floods recently was in November 2012. Water levels were five feet higher than usual and flooded 70% of the city. And that's new for Venice. 
we also have to say that the severe flooding that we see in the city today is not the flooding that they created in the 15th and 16th centuries. Today, the water level in Venice is about a foot higher than when formal measurements began more than a century ago. Some of that is from the rising sea level caused by climate change. But about half of the change is because the city is sinking. That's because it pulled so much groundwater out from beneath its buildings for industrial uses in the 70s. With the water gone so quickly, there was nothing to hold the ground up. Because larger floods are becoming more common, there's now a flood forecasting system, founded in 1981, to predict when the lagoon might overflow. And that's really good. So you get a sense a few days before if weather conditions are coming that are likely to cause flooding that lets you know more precisely what water levels are expected. The forecasting system also allows the city to sound sirens a couple hours before the tidewaters peak. This is what they sound like. The city is also almost done building a new flood wall system they hope will protect the city from increased flooding. But how much it will drive Venice out remains to be seen. The thing is that urban planners and hydraulic engineers in Venice have a really hard job. They need to keep Venice safe from floods. The easiest way to do that, of course, would be to get rid of all the water. But the water is what makes Venice Venice. Regarding its future, we're very close to the edge here, aren't we? You can't think of a future Venice that's outside the lagoon. Venice could close itself off to the sea and let the lagoon fill up with silt or dredge materials or I don't know what, but you couldn't really call that Venice anymore. That's it for this episode of A Sense of Place. The intro music is by Kevin McLeod, and the outro music is by Dr. Turtle. If you want to suggest a future place for us to visit, or if you want to send us an audio postcard from or about a place you love, email us at scienceline at gmail.com. Come back next time for a new exploration of what makes our favorite places unique. Thanks for listening.